thankful for the opportunity we have to study God's word together. And as I was thinking about this text, it reminded me of a time a few years ago when I was in undergrad and I had the privilege of studying communication for my major in college. And I grew to love human communication because it really is a fascinating thing, the way we communicate with one another. You think through just the fact that we're able to make noises with our mouths and we understand what we're saying. You think about the fact that we can kind of read the expressions on the faces of other people. We know that um, someone is uh, excited to see us and we know that, we know the difference between that and someone who acts like they're excited to see us but they're not actually excited to see us. We have the ability to both in faces and in tone. We can communicate urgency through the way we speak to one another. I thought about this a few weeks ago. I was uh, smoking a brisket, um, and so I got home, was cutting the brisket open out of the, the package over the sink, and I grabbed the brisket with my left hand, and as soon as I pulled it out of the package, I could tell I was losing my grip on it. Um, and so rather than saying, hey, Kels, I got this brisket. Uh, I think it's fallen out of my hand. Um, could you grab the cutting board for me so I can put it on there? I have urgency in my request. I'm saying, Kels, I need the cutting board. Quick, 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 I'm gonna drop this. Now, some of us, if you know me well, some of us are more expressive than others. So my urgency is probably dialed pretty low compared to the urgency of others. But we still, we still can read that in other people. We know when people are being urgent. Well, this morning, we're going to hear a desperate call from centuries ago. And it's a desperate call that we can learn so much from. A desperate call that will equip us to desperately pray before the Lord. We're going to see this morning that desperate times call for desperate prayers. Desperate times call for desperate prayers. And we're gonna do that by looking at first the tone of David's prayer. We're gonna look at the content of his prayer. And then we're gonna think about what God has for us as we consider Psalm 70. So let's dive right in into Psalm 70. Look at verse one with me. David says, make haste, O God, to deliver me. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. See, when we read the Psalms, it's important for us to read them the way they were written. See, each book of the Bible is written in a different way. We think of um, an epistle or a letter like Ephesians that tends to be more argumentative and deductive in nature. And then we get to a book like the Psalms which is a collection of poems and songs that are filled with deep emotion. And so if we're gonna understand what God has for us today, we need to work hard to put ourselves in the shoes of the, the poet and feel the emotion that they're feeling. And so when we read this Psalm, we see that David is desperate. He's in a desperate time, a desperate situation, and he is desperately calling out to God to help him. To deliver him. We see that not only is he desperately calling out, but he's calling out to God to help him quickly, that God would not delay in providing help to David. And we see an emphasis on this tone. 
So it's really interesting in the scriptures when we see the, the author use uh, almost like a pattern of sorts. You see in verse one, David starts off, make haste, O God. He has this desperation in his voice. And then at the closing of this psalm or this prayer, we see the last two lines, you are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And so there's an emphasis in this psalm, not only on God coming to the rescue and help of David, but that he would do it quickly with urgency. David is in desperate need. He's in a desperate time and he's praying a desperate prayer. Which leads us to wonder, well, what kind of desperate time was David in? What was the circumstance that caused David to pray this prayer? Well, it's a great question. David, in this psalm, we see is surrounded by enemies who desire and delight in his shame and his pain. David is surrounded by enemies who desire and delight in his shame and his pain. Look at verse two. It says, it describes these people as people who seek his life. If you think about David's life, you might remember that there were actually times where people wanted to kill him. We know that before he was king, King Saul wanted to murder David out of jealousy and out of fear of who David was. We see later on in David's reign, his own son Absalom wanted to kill David. So David is speaking from experience. We're not exactly sure if this is the exact situation, but David is well accustomed to those being after him and his life. We see that there are people that delight in his, in his hurt. That's the next line in verse two. Those who delight in my hurt. And it's interesting here that he's not just saying that they desire that he would be hurt in a particular way. He's saying that they delight in his being hurt. It's this twisted kind of joy that's found when David experiences pain and sorrow. His enemies, those who are evil and wicked, they're actually really happy about the fact that he's experiencing pain in this time. We see also there are those who scoff at him. Look at verse three. It's those who say, aha, aha. They're the ones who are constantly berating David. They're the ones verbally assaulting and abusing him. They're the ones that are pointing and laughing at him. They want him to be a laughing stock. So to sum it up, as we said, David's enemies desire and delight in his shame and his pain. They want him to feel sorrow. They want to cause sorrow. And they want him to feel ashamed of who he is and what he's done. They want him to turn away and never show his face again. And it's interesting, as we think about this, I think we can start to perhaps put ourselves in the shoes of David. Can you think of a time when you felt this way? When you felt like there was someone or a group of people that desired and delighted in your shame and your pain? You know, I can think of a few, a few ways we experience this. One might be abuse of some sort. So whether this is maybe something in your past growing up, perhaps it's now, um, something that's happened at work, whatever it might be, but there are those of us that have experienced abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, 
emotional abuse. And we can relate to what David is feeling. He needs someone to rescue him from his dire situation. And I think it's important to just take a moment and make sure that everyone here knows that if you are experiencing something like this, this is a place where you can share that experience without fear of shame. The church is a place where we can share our pain with one another, not out of fear that others might judge us, but we want to be here to walk alongside you in times like this. And so if you are experiencing this, I beg you, tell someone you know and love here, come to me, come to one of the pastors, come to someone, and we want to walk alongside you and help you in a situation like this. So we experience things like abuse, people who delight in our pain and our shame, people who delight in making us feel worthless. There's a, a cruel pleasure they get when they make us feel like we're worth nothing to those around us. Some of you who maybe are younger, um, who are still in school, may experience something like this in the form of bullying. Kids can be really nasty sometimes and they don't care anything about you. They spew hatred towards you. They do whatever they can to take joy in your pain. This is the experience that David is going through. And so those of us who have gone through things like this, we know a little bit of what David is talking about. In this psalm, it gives us words. See, God is inviting us to pray desperate prayers in our desperate times. In abuse, he's not saying that this is the only thing that you can do. In abuse, God God wants us to escape those situations. He's not saying praying is the only way out, but it, it offers words for us in times like these, in these desperate times. God's inviting us to bring our pain to him so that he can rescue us from our pain. And it's important when we go to God in our pain, you know, especially if we've had some kind of experience in our life with someone who has hurt us. We can be fearful because we see God as similar to uh, whether it was an abusive father or whoever it might be, someone who looks at us in our weakness and is just disgusted with us. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. When we come to God in our pain and suffering, he welcomes us. He embraces us. He lets us cry on his shoulder. He tells us that we're his son or his daughter and that he loves us. And he picks us up and carries us when we don't feel like we can keep going on. See, in times like this, God gives us words here and he invites us to come to him and beg him to quickly come and deliver us. Now, there might be those of us who some of these situations that I've described, maybe we don't feel that uh, poignantly right now. Example of uh, an enemy or someone who desires our pain and our shame, but we can share in the fact that we do have a common enemy. Every single one of us that's here this morning, we share an enemy. The scripture calls him by different names. We hear the enemy, the evil one, 
Satan, the devil, someone who desires and delights in our shame and our pain. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. The enemy delights in our pain. So you remember when sin entered the world, sin brought brokenness. So brokenness is all those sorrows that we experience now, whether it's death, whether it's sickness, depression, relational strife, abuse, whatever it might be that causes us to suffer, those are results of sin. And Satan delights in seeing people like us go through broken experiences, while God delights in making things new and making things whole, the enemy delights in seeing us in pain, seeing us in sorrow, seeing us suffer the consequences of the world's sin. The enemy delights in our shame, and those of us who have followed Christ for any amount of time are well acquainted with this. The enemy loves to hurl accusations at us, telling us that even though we've repented and trusted in Christ to save us from our sin, he tells us that because we've sinned again in the same way, that we are no longer accepted by the Father, that we are no longer good enough, that Christ's sacrifice could never be good enough for a sinner like us. Satan is continually lying to us. He's trying to bog us down in the trap of sin. He wants us, when we struggle with a particular kind of sin, to continue to hide that sin and not try to go to the Lord for rescue from that sin. He loves it when we are stuck in the mud of whatever sin it is that we're struggling with at that time. And he loves it when we are completely inundated with shame. You see, no matter what situations we're going through right now, we share and a common enemy. We see that Psalm 70 is for each and every one of us. So we see that, we see how David kind of characterizes his enemies, uh, but we also see kind of the, the content of his prayer. What is he actually praying for? Well, let's look again at verses two and three, and we're going to see that David prays that the shame that his enemies wish on him David prays that it would be redirected, turned back to those who are wishing shame on him. Look at verse two. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. Now when we read this, we might look at this and say, it's interesting because it almost sounds like David is, is wishing like revenge. He's just kind of like turning it back on these people. And why is David doing that? Well, I don't, I don't think that David is being vengeful or spiteful. I think David is praying for the, the just treatment of wickedness and sin. You see, if you remember back at the very, very beginning, when sin entered the world, shame entered with it. Right? Remember, Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit, they were convicted of their sin, and they realized that they were naked, and they were ashamed of their nakedness, and they tried to cover themselves up. See, since the beginning of time, sin and shame have gone together. Shame is one of the consequences that sin brings. And so when David is praying that this shame be redirected, I think what he's getting at is he's praying something like, let those who practice evil against me 
experience that shame, experience the shame that accompanies sin. Let them experience the consequences that sin brings. He's praying, let their sin be seen as what it is. Wicked, evil sin. But his prayer doesn't end there. In fact, it takes an an interesting turn. Look at verse four. He says, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. And when I was studying this, it was interesting to me because we see uh, kind of David shifting gears, right? He's praying about those who are wicked, those who are practicing wickedness against him. And now he's praying blessings for those who are faithful, for those who are righteous. And we have to ask the question, why does, why does David switch gears here? What, what's he doing here? Why is he praying this prayer? Well, I think there's kind of two reasons David makes this switch. First, we see that he's contrasting the, those who are unrighteous, or we might call them unfaithful, with those who are righteous, or we might call them faithful. And he's doing it in a really interesting way. Look at how he contrasts the wicked and the righteous. So starting in verse two again, he characterizes the wicked as those who seek my life. And then look what he says about the righteous in verse four, those who seek you. And so we have this comparison, those who are evil, those who are unfaithful, they seek the lives, they seek the harm of others. But those who are faithful, those who are righteous, they seek God. And I think David is intentionally using the same word here to kind of set these two groups of people apart from each other. He does it again in verse two. He talks about those who delight in his hurt. In verse four, he talks about those who love your salvation. So we have those who find joy, delight, they love when others are hurt. Those who are faithful and righteous, they find joy, they love salvation. They love the rescue, the salvation of those who are in need. He does it one more time. In verse three, those who are unfaithful or unrighteous say, aha, aha. But in verse four, at the end, those who are righteous say, God is great. We have those who use their words in a way that, a way that tears down others, And those who are faithful use their words in a way that lifts up God. They praise God. And so we see David is setting apart these two groups. And he's doing that so that he can identify with one of these two groups. See, David is identifying himself with those who are faithful to God. With those who are righteous. And if we think back, David said some of the same things that those who are righteous do. At the beginning... We see those who seek God. Well, David's praying a prayer that is seeking God. David is seeking God right here, right now. Those who are righteous are the ones who love salvation. David is praying a prayer for salvation. He loves God's salvation and he's praying for salvation. We see those who are righteous and faithful, they say, God is great. David, by saying these words and by trusting that God alone can save him, is in essence saying God is great and the only one that has power to save me. So we see David identifying himself with those who are faithful and righteous 
But there's a problem. And the problem comes in the next line. It says, but I am poor and needy. You see, David identifies with the faithful in character, but that doesn't mean that everything is perfect in his life. While the righteous experience joy and gladness and salvation, David finds himself in a desperate time. He finds himself poor and needy. We see that although blessing comes to the faithful, David finds himself in need of God's blessing. We see David's praying for blessing for those who are faithful, but then he comes to God and saying, God, I need that blessing. I need to experience the salvation that your faithful people experience. But I'm utterly powerless to do anything for myself. When he says that he's poor and needy, he's saying that he has no ability or no power to save himself. We can think of David as a small infant who can do nothing to feed itself, who can do nothing to take care of itself, someone who is completely reliant on someone else to care for them, to preserve them, to help them and deliver them. And we can take a step back and just ask ourselves, do we ever feel this way? Do we ever feel like we trust in Christ, we identify with the righteous, we identify with those who are following Christ, who are doing our best to obey the Lord, and yet we feel helpless. We feel as if we don't have any strength to carry on. In our life, we feel sorrow rather than joy. Are you here this morning and you would identify as someone who follows Christ But rather than feeling joy and blessing and gladness, you feel deep sorrow and pain. Maybe you're here this morning and perhaps you don't identify as a follower of Christ. Maybe you're not sure. But you can identify with this feeling of helplessness. I don't really feel like I can go on anymore. And it doesn't seem like I can do anything to get myself out of the way that I'm feeling. And this can be brought on by a number of things. We talked about this feeling can be brought on by those around us who desire our shame and our pain. This feeling can be brought on by the sinful shame that the enemy hurls at us as we continue to struggle with sin. This can be brought on by any difficulty that you're going through right now. Whatever it might be, whether it's the passing of a loved one, whether it's sickness, whether it's a lost job, whatever difficulty or sorrow you're going through right now or have gone through, there's this feeling of, I need someone to help me because I can't do it on my own. But why do we feel this way? Why, why is it that those of us who identify with God's people those of us who have given ourselves to Christ, those who have found joy in the gospel, why is it that we go through seasons like this? Well, it's critical that we understand that in a world that's broken by sin, we will always be poor and needy. In a world that's been broken by sin, we will always be poor and needy. You see, even though we 
sin. For those of us that have repented, have turned away from our sin, and have confessed that Jesus Christ and Christ alone is our Savior through his life, death, and resurrection, even those of us who have trusted in him, and we know that we have been declared forgiven and righteous of our sin, we have been delivered fully from that sin, we still experience, um, we're still experiencing the process of being delivered from sin and the sorrow that it brings. Remember, sin brings sorrow. We're still on this worth. We're in the in-between between the fall and God making all things new. And so even as followers of Christ, we experience sin and we're in the process of being delivered from that sin and all the sorrow and suffering that it brings. And it's, it's vital for us to understand this. Because sometimes, especially in times like this, when it's not as easy to see the truth clearly, we can begin to um, start turning the blame in the wrong direction. See, sometimes in these moments, we trust that God is the one who's rescued us, but I'm going through this suffering, I'm going through this difficult time. God, why are you making me go through this? God, it's your fault that I'm experiencing the, the directed shame from other people. God, you're the reason that I'm going through this pain or this suffering. We feel that and we bring that to the Lord. And at the same time, God is inviting us to look at the true cause beneath all of our sin and sorrow. You see, if we're if we look at the scriptures and what the scriptures teach, it is sin that has brought on all sorrow. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, sin brought all of these consequences. It brought death, sickness. It brought separation from God. Not just kind of the sin out there. You know, we can think of the sin of the world, the disobedience of the world but it's also our own sin. We contribute to the sin that happens in this world and it's sin that has broken this world and brought about suffering and sorrow. Sin is what leaves us poor and needy. Sin is what leaves us helpless with nowhere to go. And so what are we to do? Each and every one of us, whether it's right now, whether it's last month, or whether it's coming, we experience shame and pain like David did here in Psalm 70. And so what is God calling us to? How do we respond when we hear this truth? Well, we kind of finish where we started, right? Look at the rest of verse five. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. You see, David comes back to the fact that in his poverty and in his neediness, the only source of rescue, the only source of rescue from his pain, his shame, and his suffering is God himself. And he begs God to draw near to him in this time. And so God calls us to think about 
or do three things as a result of the truth we see here. First, we see that God is calling us to desperately pray for deliverance from our greatest enemy. God is calling us to desperately pray for deliverance from our greatest enemy. See, sin separates us from God, right? That's the greatest enemy we have, sin, and it separates us from God, and it brings upon us eternal shame. See, a really important thing to remember as we look at Psalm 70 is that if we're honest with ourselves as individuals that have all sinned in some way, we've all fallen short. As sinners, we actually identify with those who were enemies of David, enemies of God. We're those who have said hurtful things. We're the ones who have delighted in the hurt of others. We're the ones who have scoffed and verbally assaulted those around us. We are the ones who have brought upon sin in this world, and we're helpless to break free from it. See, sometimes we can trick ourselves into thinking that I know I've done some bad things. I know I've messed up, but I'm going to work hard. If I can just do some good things, if I can come to church on a regular basis, if I can give money, if I can volunteer, if I can try to be kind to other people, then I can kind of work my way out of this shame and pain that I'm experiencing and God will accept me. But the gospel tells us that no one is righteous. No one can work their way out of the poverty and neediness that we find ourselves in, in our sin. And so what are we to do? We, like David, are poor and needy, 